0: Let me again welcome you and uh, those online being here together. If you're a visitor, uh, uh, we're glad that you are here. If you're a visitor online, uh, please make yourself known to us. Send us an email, somehow let us know of your presence, and we'd love to connect with you and and get you connected to us and our life together here at Uh, There. Is a black pad in a pew. And maybe this Sunday particularly you want to sign that to make sure you get credit for being here this Sunday. Uh, but if you want to fill that out, that'd be great. Uh, that, that's good. We have been making our way through the Gospel of Mark. Let me do a, a quick recap of where we are in this Gospel. In this Gospel, Jesus bursts onto the scene as an adult. And in the first eight chapters of Mark, we see Jesus do miracle after miracle. He demonstrates his power and authority over illness, over nature, over demons, even over death itself. He teaches. He teaches as one with authority, and he upsets the religious leaders. He's in conflict with the scribes and the Pharisees because of this authority that he he has. The first eight chapters give us a picture of who Jesus is and that it's capped off with Peter's great confession at the end of chapter 8, when Jesus asks, who do you say I am? And and Peter says, you are the Christ, you are the Messiah. And then the the glory of the transfiguration, as they go to the top of the mountain, and the glory of God uh, comes upon Jesus, and the cloud overcomes him, and Jesus' glory is revealed to the three disciples. Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Son of God, God in his fullness. But ever since the transfiguration, Mark has been trying to teach us, given who Jesus is, how do we follow him? How is one a disciple? What does it mean to follow him? And so in chapters 9 through and 10, particularly, he's been teaching us that it means a cross. Three times he foretells his own death on a cross. To follow him means a cross. It means becoming more like little children and less like the biggest and the greatest. It means keeping your marriage vows. It means welcoming children. It means Not being rich, but giving away your possessions. It means being a leader who is slave of all. And then Mark concludes this section with what it means to be discipled by this morning's story of blind Bartimaeus. So listen then again to God's word to us from Mark chapter chapter 10, beginning with verse 46. Then they came to Jericho, As Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of Nazareth, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called to the blind man, Two of the summers when I was in high school, I worked at a church camp in south central Florida, just north of the Everglades, and one of the years at that camp for our Bible lesson each day, we did something that we called the Jesus Walk. One of the staff would dress up like Jesus, and the other staff and students would be his disciples, and we would walk around the camp as we encountered different stories that we reenacted from the Gospels. Is probably one of the best teaching methods I have been a part of, learning what discipleship means by walking with Jesus. And one of my favorite stories that we did was the story of Blind Bartimaeus, or whom we called Blind Bart. Blind Bart was along the side of the path and had a tin cup and was playing the blues on a harmonica, begging for money. When he heard that it was Jesus who was walking by, he began to yell, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus was teaching us disciples as we were walking along, teaching us about God and the kingdom, and so we, we hushed blind Bart. We wanted to hear Jesus, and we couldn't hear him with this shouting. But Jesus stopped, invited Bart to come him, and asked him what he wanted, and healed him. Now, two things stand out to us in this story. One thing that is unusual is that we know his name. Bartimaeus is the only person in the Synoptic Gospels whose name we know who was healed by Jesus. And the second thing is that Bartimaeus is only the second person, apart from a couple of demons in Mark's Gospel, to use a messianic title of Jesus. Peter, in his Great Confession, chapter 8, calls Jesus the Messiah, And then here, and then there will be a third person in chapter 15, another surprising person, like Bartimaeus, the centurion at the cross, who also sees who Jesus truly is. These two confessions, Peter's response to Jesus' question, who do you say I am, and Bartimaeus' cry out to Jesus as the son of David are like two brackets that mark the beginning and the end of this section of the gospel where Mark is teaching us what it means to be a disciple. Why do we know Bartimaeus' name? Why are we given this detail? One suggestion is that Bartimaeus would have been known to the early church that, to whom Mark was writing. Matthew and Mark, in their versions of the story, leave out Barth- Bar- Bartimaeus' name. Perhaps Bartimaeus was known to the church community to whom Mark was writing, but not to the two that Matthew and Luke was writing to. Augustine suggests that we know Bartimaeus' name and his father's name, Timaeus, Because they were people of prestige and prominence. He suggests that Timaeus would have been a person of prominence, and that this story tells us how far down Bartimaeus has fallen, the depths of his lostness. But I want to suggest this morning that we are told Bartimaeus' name because Mark particularly wants us to remember this story. This story is the capstone to his teaching on what discipleship means. What does it mean to be a disciple? It means to be Bartimaeus. Think with me about that this morning. What does it mean for you and me to be a disciple of Jesus today? What does that look like? It looks like Bartimaeus. It looks like the fact that we are blind beggars without Jesus. We are blind. Apart from Jesus, we don't see clearly who we are. We cannot possibly see clearly who God is. We don't see clearly who our neighbors are. We don't see clearly how to live life the way God intended. We are blind. I think this is probably the easiest point I could ever make in preaching, right? We are blind. If you follow the political news at all, it's obvious. We could find innumerable examples of this on a global, national, and community-wide level. We are blind. Has not our whole response to this pandemic been one continual exercise of the blind leading the blind? But it would be even easier to illustrate this from each one of our own lives. Without Jesus, I am blind. Without Jesus, you are blind. Without Jesus, my whole self-understanding and self-identity is distorted and twisted and false. Not true. Without Jesus, I stumble around And injure myself and the people around me. And each one of us have the scars to prove this. Scars self-inflicted and scars we receive being inflicted by others. Not only are we blind, but we are also beggars. We got nothing and are entirely dependent on the mercy of God. We come to Jesus as blind beggars with nothing to offer to him. And discipleship begins with us calling out to Jesus with empty hands. Jesus, son of David have mercy on me. No matter what my grades are, no matter how many friends I have, no matter how successful I have been, no matter how together my family might appear to be, we each come to Jesus as blind beggars, wholly dependent on his mercy. We are reminded of this each Sunday as we kneel for confession. The second thing that Bartimaeus teaches us about discipleship is that we are those who call out to Jesus and cannot be hushed. Bartimaeus could not be hushed, not because he was so persistent, not because he had so much faith. Bartimaeus called out and could not be hushed because he was so desperate. He had nowhere else to go. Disciples are those who realize we have nowhere else to turn. No one else, no thing else can heal us and make us whole, can make us to see. And so we cry out, we pray, and we keep praying. And the third thing Bartimaeus teaches us about discipleship is that when we hear Jesus' invitation, we respond like Bartimaeus. When he is told that Jesus is calling him, Bartimaeus throws off his cloak, jumps up, and comes to Jesus. It's a little strange that Mark gives us this detail of Bartimaeus throwing off his cloak But biblically, clothes represent our moral behavior. Isaiah describes our righteous acts as being like filthy rags. When we are baptized, we are told we are clothed in Christ's righteousness. Bartimaeus is showing us that when we rise up to follow Jesus, we throw off our old ways, our old habits, our sinful desires, and we put on the desires of God's heart. We have a new purpose a new family, a new way, a new road to walk. We rise up. We tell Jesus that we want to see again, and then we follow him on the way. One of Mark's favorite metaphors for discipleship is this thought of being on the road or being on the way. To be a disciple means to walk with Jesus on the way, on the road. Discipleship is a path. It's a a camino, right? At the beginning of our story, verse 46, Barth- Timaeus was sitting by the side of the way, we're told. At the end of the story, verse 52, he was following Jesus on the way. I loved our camp's Jesus walk. That is what our lives are as Christians. We are invited each morning to wake up and walk with Jesus this day, to listen to him, to follow him, to walk in his way, doing what he does, caring about what he cares about, getting to see what he sees and to see what he is doing. And miracle of miracles, he invites us to participate with him in what he is doing. He has work for us to do with him. Notice another thing. Bartimaeus names Jesus as the son of David, one of the titles of the Messiah. And there's irony here, right? Here is a blind man who sees more clearly than those with eyes to see. And there's a truth here for us. It is not the high priest. It's not the religion scholars. But it is the blind man on the margins who sees the truth. Remember this last week when we celebrated Epiphany. It was not the priests or the scribes or anyone else in Jerusalem. It was even a Jew who recognized the birth of the Messiah in Bethlehem. It was the Gentile magi from the East. And this teaches us that we need to be attentive to the voices of those on the margins. Mark has told us to children, to the poor, the widows, the orphans, refugees. I was reminded this week of the importance of reality ministries for us here at Blacknell. Those who volunteer with our friends at Reality tell us how they're reminded again and again of the truth of the gospel. One of our volunteers said, every time I go, I know exactly how I will be welcomed when I walk in the door. And that experience of grace given by our friends with disabilities brings grace, brings a greater understanding of the gospel. Our understanding and living in, walking in the grace of God's kingdom will only be partial and imperfect if you are not walking with those on the margins. On this Martin Luther King weekend, let us be reminded that we will not see Jesus in his fullness if we are not walking with brothers and sisters of different races and ethnicities. Without our brothers and sisters at St. John's or Mount Level, we will not grasp the fullness of who Jesus is and of how to walk in his ways. Without our brothers and sisters at Iglesia Emmanuel, our vision is imperfect. Without our brothers and sisters in Congo or Tonga or India, Without our international students living here in our midst, we miss out on all of who Jesus is. We are poorer when we are segregated and separate. And then finally, can we just conclude this morning by rejoicing in who Jesus is? Can we rejoice in what this story reveals to us about our Lord and Savior, the Son of David, God's Messiah? Jesus is in Jericho, right? The last stop on his walk to Jerusalem. The last town you come to before he walks up the hill to, Jeru- to Jerusalem. For several chapters he's been making his way and, and the excitement is building. Now he is on the doorstep. We need to sense, imagine the sense of excitement, of anticipation mixed with fear. This is what we have been waiting for. Jesus finally to come as king into Jerusalem. God's kingdom to come. Jesus is going to Jerusalem and the air is electric. Everyone, because everyone can sense that the climax is here, is coming. Will God's kingdom finally come? Will Jesus be fully embraced as Messiah and King? And as they're leaving Jericho, heading towards Jerusalem, Bartimaeus starts his shouting and the crowd hushes him. Why? It's not because he was calling Jesus the son of David. No. We as the crowd are all excited because we think indeed he might be the promised son of David. That's what we are thinking too. The crowd, the disciples are not hushing Bartimaeus because of what he was calling Jesus. They're hushing him because Jesus is going to Jerusalem. He is ushering in God's kingdom. He doesn't have time for a solitary blind man. I'm reminded of the scene in the musical version of Les Miserables. The scene that, that... Day before the revolution is to start, the students are gathered together, the revolutionaries in the cafe, making their plans how this revolution will start, and Marius walks in. Marius, idealistic revolutionary student, walks in, but he has just met Cosette, right, the the love of his life. His life has changed because he's seen this beautiful woman, and he says to them, like, you don't understand. I've met an angel, right? My life is totally different, and on Angel Ross says, sings to him, Marius, you're no longer a child. I do not doubt you mean it well, but now there is a higher call. Right? Who cares about your lonely soul? We strive towards a larger goal. Our little lives don't count at all. Right? The words of a revolutionary, we have a great purpose to live for. Our little lives don't matter. Your little lonely soul, who cares? We have to give ourselves to this great cause of the revolution. And we are tempted to think that walking in the way of Jesus is to give our lives for this greater goal. And indeed, we should. We are building God's kingdom. But our temptation is to think that because of that, then, we don't have time for little people. We don't have time for people who are not useful. We become so focused on building God's kingdom or building our church or fighting for justice that we don't have time for a blind man or an elderly woman or a middle schooler, or our homeless neighbor. But Jesus says, call him, call him. Beloved, we are all blind beggars. Those of us who are walking in this way with Jesus, he has a command for us. He says, call him, call her, invite that one to come. Bring her to Jesus. Yes, we are on our way to Jerusalem. Yes, we are part of the coming of God's kingdom. But the way of Jesus hears the voice of those on the side of the road. And we stop. Because Jesus stopped for us. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we we want to walk this way with you. We want to live our lives in fellowship with you because we have seen how good you are. We have come to love you, to want more of you. Lord, we pray that you would help us to walk in your way, to not get caught up so that we forget that you are the one indeed who hears the lonely beggar and invites us to call that one to come to Jesus. Lord, we pray that you might Show us those for whom, those who are calling out to you, that we might be used by you to bring them to yourself. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.